Gol de Chupete. Esa bala muy larga. Esa bala para Chupete. Gol de Chupete. Gol de Chupete. Centro largo. La pelota peinada. Deflected. Manda el centro. Alvin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Podcast. Oh, well, I think another episode of not really a new episode, at least for this part that's being recorded. Um, but Pat, I kind of wanted to do something kind of unique or not, not unique, but like first time for, for this podcast and just do a best of, uh, with, uh, some of the interviews that we had, I'm going to be going back into the archives and just chopping stuff up tonight as we are recording on Tuesday, March 24th. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to go back on some interviews that we've done. We've had, um, quite a few people that I never thought we were able going to have but first let's um let's talk about some news that kind of broke out today and Hugo Gonzalez said that he's or his intentions are to come back to Monterrey once the season is over whenever that is so Pat I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on that before we you know kind of you know introduce this uh, best of yeah um, I mean I don't know how to take this. I mean, I know I know it's hard for Rayos fans to forget about the the past and and all that. Because um, I'm not gonna lie, uh, I hated him too when he was there. Like when he was in Rayos, he was just bad in those important games, and he just never really had a performance that would like that con that convinced Rayos fans. You know, even when he arrived. Nobody thought, oh, cool, we get this promising goalkeeper. You know, it was like, uh, why? But uh, um, I mean, if if we if if it's, I don't I don't mind getting him. I don't mind it. Uh, he's a good goalkeeper. That's for real. That's like that's the truth, and he's showed it in the this past couple seasons. Uh, he's just not gonna have a good time. But then you see what Monterrey has. You have Cardenas and. Maybe it's not the best decision to get another Mexican goalkeeper. Yeah. Just stick with, with the guy that's that's actually like the fans are in love with and uh, that can guarantee safety. But I wanted uh, to ask you that. Well, not that, but I wanted to ask you just about: Do you think like playing for Necaxa and playing well there is one thing? But then there's another. Uh, it's another story to play for Monterrey, where the 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 fans are you know the pressure is higher, way higher. And we've seen, we, I mean, you as a Barcelona fan, you've seen players where, okay, they look really good playing for this mid-table club or, or, or in this league. But as soon as they get to to Barcelona, they they just can't, yeah, they can't handle the pressure, or, or they just, I don't know. I guess, I guess, buckle under the pressure too. It's probably the best way to describe it. But do you think? Yes, he's played. There's not. There's. I'm not trying to take away anything from him, but do you think there's a difference between playing well for Nick Oxa and, and and you know playing 
you know, he's arguably one of the better goalkeepers in Mexico. And then there's another story of him trying to replicate that and actually showing up in important moments for, for Monterrey. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially for Monterrey nowadays, where you're always have to be, you know, fighting for the title every, every tournament. And uh, if you can't take that pressure, then it's complicated to be there. Uh, he showed it. He showed it with Monterey fighting for titles. He wasn't up to the par. And, uh, and that's why the fans just absolutely dislike him. Um, that's why he they sent him off. Uh, the fans controlled a lot of the decisions of, uh, of Monterey in, in a sense. You know, if everybody's on the same page, every single fan is on the same page of, you know, wanting somebody out. The board uh, just they just they just follow follow the fans, you know, try to make them happy. Um, but there's ob- obviously pressure, a different pressure from facing Necaxa or for playing for Necaxa and Monterrey. Necaxa were in the semifinals last year, but nobody expected them to, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, if, but if you already are expected to be there and to win it, then that's different. If you're already there, you make it there because of whatever reason. Then, okay, you're just enjoying the ride. It's easier to to play even because you know you're already past that expectation but if you're expected to at least be there then it's different for sure yeah so we'll see what happens there i kind of want to give at least uh one tournament to Cardenas and see if he can become the number one goalkeeper i mean he's kind of earned it through his performance uh whether it was at the club world cup or through the copa mekis he you know at least one tournament where he can prove if he's the guy or not but um, yeah, like like I'm in the same boat as everybody else. Um, Gonzalez had his opportunity. Yes, there's uh, everyone deserves a second chance. Uh, I mean, Stefan Medina, you know, he left, came back, uh, played for Pachuca, did yeah. win a title with That's Pachuca, though. Yeah, but he did win like yeah. like uh, yeah, he did win a title with Pachuca. So and it was against Monterrey. So he, you know, they they, <laughs> they 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 saw firsthand maybe how how they. I think he was coming along him, yeah. um, and playing in in like big games. And and on the on the other hand, you kind of saw against uh, Nekaxa. Um, yes, it wasn't like I don't think Nekaxa lost because of Hugo Gonzalez, but um, yeah, it doesn't help when your team loses to Monterrey and, and you're still trying to, I guess, find your way back there. But we'll see we'll see what happens there. Um, I, let me just just get this. Uh, what do you think is going to happen, or or what do you want to happen with with Gonzalez? Because I I know I mean, right now people are are not happy that he said that. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean Monterey Monterey signed him for five years. He's one day going to play for us, whether it's in a year because they loan him out again because they can, but he's one day going to play for Monterey. So what I'm thinking, or what I what I think, yeah, what I think Monterey would do, or what they should do at least, is give Cardenas this next semester, loan Hugo Gonzalez for one semester, or even have him in Monterey, but just not play him as a starter. You can start him with the Copa and give Cardenas a Liga. That's what I would do. But uh, if we if we sit Cardenas for Hugo Gonzalez, Cardenas is going to leave. Cardenas is going to leave, and we're going to lose on that. Not only a special talent, but a talent that came from Monterey's uh, youth uh, academy, and a talent that's in love with the club, and, yeah. and that's always better, you know. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and we can't. I don't think we. I mean, we can't afford to lose him. It's not like the end of the world that we lose a goalkeeper, but 
you know, it's not going to sit well with, yeah. with, with a lot of people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'll, I'd follow suit. I would like maybe to loan him out, um, perhaps to like a club that has league title aspirations, just because you want to, you want to see how he handles that pressure of a team, like maybe loan him out to, I don't know, maybe Leon Morelia or whoever does, whoever needs like a Mexican goalkeeper as the, as the new rule starts to set in whenever the league starts again. Uh, so yeah, I, I just maybe loan him out to, to, or, or, you know, for one tournament, loan him out to a team that's going to be in the, uh, see if he can handle pressure and, or, or, or expectations as well and see, and then just, uh, I guess reevaluate, uh, at the start of 2021, uh, and see where, where he stands with, with, with the club and, and then see how Cardenas does. Cause I, I, I don't want Cardenas first, like real, um, role as the number one to have someone looking over your shoulder i don't think mm-hmm. that's good it, it just adds i mean there's there's a good there's a i, I think there's a, a betterment of competition but for me it's just give him that that tournament where he's the number one you're gonna ride with him and see where it goes if, if it doesn't work out obviously you have your safety net in, in gonzalez but we'll see we'll see where that goes but um uh this podcast isn't just about that pat uh, over the year and some months since we started recording this or started doing this like consistently on a weekly basis, we've had quite a few guests. Uh, so I'm trying to, so, so tonight I'm going to chop up uh, a lot of audio, listen to a lot of audio and put together like an hour or so of, you know, interviews that we've done. And I just wanted to get, get your thoughts on any interviews that kind of stood out to you which one was your favorite which one you know kind of thought that you made you were never ever going to do an interview with them or just you know taking in any direction that you want to take it yeah uh, like you said a couple or a couple but uh, a year and a few months in i actually talked with another podcast the other day uh because they had heard this one and they wanted to you know not only talk about about sports or whatever, but they wanted to talk about the podcast and what we're doing, uh, making a podcast about Rayas in English. But they were super like excited or like they loved it, the idea, you know. And uh, it's it is it is exactly that. I told them that people have embraced it amazingly, uh, not only fans but you know people that that uh, from Fox where we watch their matches here in in the U.S. I mean I mean Fox Deportes. Um, and you know from talents to to people behind the scenes there uh talent obviously in in, in monterey uh, all the all the radio broadcasters tv anchors all that uh have a following and retweeting uh during the club world cup that exposure that that the, that the podcast got uh talking with people from all over the world like from from qatar from liverpool it's crazy uh, and just and just uh, like if you think about it, if you if you go back and see everything, it's like a this is um, this this has grown like very cool in a very cool way with some very cool people. If I could pick like a few that have been my favorite, but I would say that all of them, like even when we talk, I don't know, preview for a Puebla game, preview for an Atlas game, all of them have been pretty cool. 
uh, from that to to speaking with well, I didn't speak with them, but you spoke with uh, Mitch up in Qatar. Yeah, all of them have been freaking amazing, and then Mariano Trujillo. That was like crazy. Fiore is crazy. Yeah, I still uh, can't believe we interviewed. Yeah. <laughs> it's been like a month or so ago. Um, <laughs> and it's still weird that, that that we got a chance to talk to him. Like I and he was on video too, so I was like like yeah, yeah. It, it was it was one of those like surreal moments where it's like I remember you being on TV and now you're you're on my computer screen. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, uh, no. but yeah, like you like like I was saying, just just that general thing of, of how it's growing. There's been some amazing ones. I can't really pick pick a few, but just every single one of them have been amazing for me. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut up maybe like 10, like not the entire interview because then it's just going to be a really, really long podcast. So I'm going to go back, listen, and try to grab at least 10 minutes of maybe a good amount of them and put together like an hour-long podcast. And... Yeah, I hope everybody enjoys it because uh, I enjoyed talking to them and, and they were so gracious with their time. And we still have some people that hopefully down the road we can talk to. Um, I know I'm, I'm going to, I guess, shout it out this one, but um, uh, from ESPN, I think. Uh, yeah, ESPN. Uh, uh, who's, uh, damn. Uh, I'm going to edit this part out. But yeah, from ESPN... <laughs> Um, I just wanted to get her name right from ESPN, Christina Alexander. There you go. Oh, I was going to yeah. say it, but but I was like, okay, let me go back and, and get the last name because I know her first name is Christina. But, yeah, uh, I mean, we're missing a few, like you said, her, and then uh, we've been talking to to Landeros. We want John Laguna. Uh, we want a player. We want a player. We're still missing a few. That's the goal. That's the goal. At, but, least, uh, I, at least not either on the, on the feminine or the, or, the, or the men's side. One of the two. Yeah, I'll take or, either one. Uh, just keep growing and keep getting those cool interviews that yeah and yeah i mean like i said it's something for everybody to listen to while we're mostly under quarantine or at least limiting how many times we can go outside um pat i I think just before i wrap this up i'll ask how's your quarantine going Um, um good i mean i've been watching a lot of movies and tv shows I've been playing a lot of FIFA and Football Manager, and I've been working. So it's been pretty busy. Uh, from some days, it's just like, come on, I want to just get out, but I get it. It's for a bigger cause, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm just staying home. I, I'm busy, like I'm I'm staying busy. So I'm, I'm getting to do a lot of things that I hadn't done in a while. That's, how that's often cool. are you going out? Like just for like essential stuff. Like how often would you say you go out? Nothing. Uh, I would say I've been I've been out uh, I've been out once in ten in eleven days. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's commitment. Yeah. No, I'm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, my job is essential, but we're limiting how many times we go. Like I'm, we're, I, I was supposed to go today, uh, but they told me stay home. Uh, so I, I have been I've been home. I did go outside once to try to find toilet paper, but that was that was uh, that was that was uh, that was a failed mission. Yeah, so I gotta wait maybe until uh, places stock up with trucks and then fight my way through the crowds. Yeah. Uh, so I gotta deal with that. Um, yeah, but I'm mostly just going. If I go out, it's just for like groceries and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. go out just to go out. Uh, so yeah, if um, there's a reason why we're staying home, you gotta stay home. 
And, you know, just we don't want to end up like Italy right now. Like, I don't know if you've seen the videos that yeah, no. out of Italy where you, you see the Colosseum, you see parts of Milan, and it's just a literal ghost town. Uh, I, I was listening to a Benfica podcast where they talked to a UA, uh, I think a UEFA commentator who's like based in Italy, and it's kind of bad. Like, the only places they can go out is to like groceries, pharmacies, or the bank. And then if you have to go outside for like work purposes, you have to show like some type of document that the government approves so you know when police stop you and say hey what are you doing out here you can show them hey i'm heading to work or whatever so um yeah hopefully we can get through this and we don't have to end up like that but for in the meantime hopefully you enjoy this best of podcast uh pat anything else you want to add before it gets started uh no uh yeah if you know stay home if you can i'm i my job lets me be home because everything's online or everything's digital so yeah, i know some for some people it's it's more complicated but uh yeah just stay safe and try to try to try to stay safe yeah. um it's complicated but uh no that's it that's it uh keep keep um let's keep doing this i know i know it's difficult without rayados but this has been a really cool podcast people like it and we should and like we are but let's Let's uh, hope for, for more growth this coming months, hopefully. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be doing this once Rayados gets back. Uh, and hopefully, if maybe if we have a guest, a guest in line, it'll be easier right now since most of, you know, most of the sports analysts are stuck inside. Um, so we'll see where, what we can get just to try to pass the time uh, under this quarantine. So for Pat, I'm Eddie. Enjoy the best of interviews of the podcast. Um, I would does, just like, yeah, just like yeah, Sergio. Yeah, that's <laughs> why I have that in mind. But um, he does the, if you don't know who he is, uh, he does the Boca in English podcast. Uh, it's a really good podcast. Actually, I, I, I last week just you know, doing the prep work for this, I listened to the, not the most recent one, but the second to most recent podcast you guys did. But first, uh, introduce yourself. I, I do have a you know maybe a question or two just before we get into the Maximessa stuff. So, uh, Gabriel, if you just want to introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys first off for for having me on. My name is Gabriel Aguero. Like you said, I'm 24 years old. I live in New York. I was actually born here uh, to Argentine parents. That's where my love for, for Woka comes. I've been supporting Woka all my life. Uh, I'm currently a college student. And uh, yeah, like you said, I work the Woka in English podcast. I also run the Twitter account, which I've been doing for a year and a half now, uh, covering Woka in the English language. So, so yeah. So I, I kind of want to touch it because in a year and a half, you've accumulated close to 5,000 followers. Uh, it, it, how did that happen like usually i it's just because for me i've seen podcasts for other clubs around the world who's you know the, the native language for that country isn't english so when they try to do podcasts or twitter accounts in english it really takes them a couple of maybe you know i'm just spitballing here for like you know a good two three years before people start taking what they're doing seriously but you you, you like in a year and a half it's just i've seen the people who follow you like has it just blown you away how quickly this all went or, or, or <laughs> yeah, no, explain that to me? Definitely. Yeah. It's definitely blown me away. Um, in a year and a half, I didn't think I'd get to this many followers. 
Um, but don't be, don't be, uh, for, for the podcast, for example, I don't have 5,000 people listening to my podcast. Uh, it's just a Twitter account that's up to, uh, 4,600 followers. Um, but it mainly blew up, as you may already know, the, the Libertadores final from last year and all the incidents and everything that revolved, uh, those two matches in itself, uh, it drew a lot of attention from, from Europe and many other places of the world, uh, I don't know if you've seen, but there's also a Ribbit in English Twitter account. I know the guy who runs that account. Very nice guy. He, his account also blew up. And it was mostly because of that game, I would say. Uh, the interest for Woka on a worldwide level has always been there. Um, but I feel like that game really put yeah. uh, the, the Twitter accounts on the map, I would say. And we, like, we started this podcast and Twitter account maybe like four months ago. And it really took off... Uh, yeah. How did how did what made you decide? Because we like like I was telling you before we started recording and everything, we support clubs where the native language is, is Spanish. So mm-hmm. for for you, what made you decide? I want to start a Twitter account for for you know putting out English content for Boca yeah. and starting a, a a podcast or an English language podcast for Boca. So you know, talk to me how how did that how did this all just come about? Well, I've been on Twitter uh, for for many many years, and I've always looked for Twitter accounts that were dedicated to Woka in the English language. And there was always a couple here and there, but never one a hundred percent dedicated, giving information uh, day in day out and updating the fans. Uh, there's a bunch. If you even type in Boca English on on the Twitter search, you'll find plenty of accounts, but they're no longer active or they retweet here and there, so they're not big big. And I'm consider myself very informed with Oka. Um, because of my father, I listen to the radio um, a lot throughout the day, whether it's at work or, you know, doing what I'm doing. And I listen to specific shows and I, I listen for specific journalists that are very well informed with Oka. And this was way before I even started with the Twitter account. And one day I said to myself, you know what? I think I'm very well informed. I think I would do a very good job informing the English public about Boca Juniors. So I went ahead and opened up the uh, the, the Twitter account. It, it's been a, a great success. Um, and months and months after I opened the Twitter account, I would say close to Libertadores final, I said, you know what? The interest for this game really is big, so let me go ahead and start a podcast. So I created a little group, and we started recording uh, right before that final. And we've been recording ever since. Uh, Pat, uh, I, I got one more question, but Pat, if you want to ask anything. No, go ahead, go ahead. I have, um, what I wanted to, to know is if you, I mean, I, you said your parents are both from, from Argentina, and yeah. uh, have you ever visited uh, the, La Bombonera? What's that experience? Yeah, yeah, I visited La Bombonera. Um, flights to Argentina, unfortunately, are extremely <laughs> yeah. expensive, very expensive. Uh, just to compare, I went to Argentina last year. I paid just over a thousand U.S. dollars for my flight. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually in Spain last month and I paid uh, $350. Uh, I don't know why there's that big of a difference in, 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 in the prices, but yeah, it's very expensive. So I can't go to Argentina all the time. But I went to El Moneda for the first time in 2016. It was mm-hmm. just a tour, it was during the off season. Um, I did, you know, the whole little tour thing that you could do at stadiums and whatnot. And I, I really enjoyed it, but I left with that feeling like, you know what, I have to come back for a game. So I actually went back to Argentina because I have a lot of family there. I went yeah. back last year and I went to two games in one week, both at home. Uh, so I lived that chaotic, crazy Bombonera experience. 
Um, and yeah, I plan on going back soon, hopefully. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I visited uh, La Bombonera as well. It was a tour also. I uh, didn't get to see or haven't experienced a match there, but it's uh, one of the, my, my most, you know, they're, in the, they're my top of the list of soccer dreams that I want to fulfill. So that's cool that you got to 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 witness that. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, like like Eddie said, you know, uh, we both support clubs that speak Spanish or the first language is Spanish, but definitely Boca is more uh, known worldwide. Rayados is still in that um, growing phase. You know, the, we need to have more success internationally, maybe go back to Libertadores, have a couple of our players, you know, uh, be, you know, how, how Boca players have gone worldwide and, and, and you see the love for uh, by team by players like Dani Alves, Buffon, Marquisio, Griezmann, uh-huh. declare love for a club like like Boca. So that's awesome that you that you jumped into that uh, you know English speaking um, uh, market because that's something that we kind of wanted to do with this this whole Twitter thing as well. So uh-huh. um, yeah, shout out to you because you're the you're my main uh, follow for Boca in English. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I actually listened to one of your guys' podcasts uh, a couple of days ago just to see, you know, the kind of the feel of your podcast yeah. and, and how you guys work. And I thought you guys did a phenomenal job. So shout yeah. out to you guys too. Thanks. And joining me tonight or this morning, uh, depending where we are it's it's morning in my area it's 1 a.m and it's 11 a.m where he is but michael freely uh who's based in qatar since the club world cup is coming up and monterey is obviously going to be one of the clubs in december that's going to be participating in this uh little tournament but michael if you want to just uh introduce yourself uh, i do have some couple of questions just to get a Get, you know, have the listeners just get to know a little bit about you. Sure, no problem. Uh, so, yeah, um, feel free to call me Mitch. Everyone has oh, called okay. me Mitch. So that's all good. Um, so I've been out in Qatar for five years now. Um, I currently work for B in Sports, uh, which is kind of like the major broadcaster out here. Uh, and I'm on their English website as the editor. Um, I've obviously previously I've worked at the Qatar Stars League, which is the local league here. Uh, so I've had plenty of experience uh, with dealing with Al Saad uh, down the years and, and, and how they are as a team. So uh, hopefully I can give uh, some insights to you, Raylando fans, about what you could expect from potentially playing uh, Al Saad at the Club World Cup. Yeah, I, and, and just Qatar as well, because I know some supporters were probably are going to make the trip to Qatar. So it's just not the not just the club, Al Saad, but just the, the country or, or uh, as a whole, just to give people uh, a sense of what, you know they'll be visiting yeah. in a couple of a co- you know in a couple of months but let's start how did you end up in qatar and, and writing about qatari football oh wow uh i mean it, I'll, I'll give you a short story uh, i was working in london for a marketing magazine um uh, and my passion has always been sport um in 2011 i went and covered the uh, rugby world cup in new zealand um and i just saw a job here in Qatar and it was for a kind of sports reporter um, and I applied for it and uh, lo and behold I got the job and uh, that job wasn't so great <laughs> and I moved to the Qatar Stars League and then eventually to be in sports but yeah uh, it was it was kind of a random thing I, I, I you know I, I wasn't too hot on Qatar or the region uh, but I've been here five years now and I, I've obviously learned a lot about the 
the culture. Um, obviously, it's ramping up here for the World Cup. The Club World Cup is part of those preparations. And um, yeah, it's been a it's certainly been a very interesting uh, five years covering the Qatar national team uh, and obviously the teams in the Qatar Stars League as well. So what's been your like your biggest like culture shock or biggest challenge, like moving from London, New Zealand to to Qatar? Um, I, I guess it's it's kind of like a, a different mentality, I guess. Uh, you know, it's not, it's perhaps, uh, Qatar perhaps doesn't have the hustle and bustle of London, you know, but uh, it, it's got a certain way of working and uh, ad- adapting to obviously an Arabic culture as well and in a culture where, you know, the majority of faith is, is uh, Muslim, but that's not really a big thing, but because uh, it was quite multicultural in London. But, uh, but, you know, it's just a different way of life, I guess. And it's, it, you know, once you kind of change to that and adapt to that uh, and, and see the way you work and, you know, some people who I've known have been out here for years and love it. And then some people will come here for a year, two years and leave straight away. So it's about kind of finding those rhythms with people, I guess. And yes. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's slightly different in Qatar and, and across the Arabic world. Uh, but it but it's satisfying. I certainly do enjoy it here. And uh, just touch, just staying on the topic of Qatar because I know a lot of not a yeah. lot, but a good majority of Monterey supporters are probably going to make the trip to Qatar. I know I've seen organizers setting up, you know, uh, like little travel packages, etc. Sure. What can you ex- what can people from from Monterey and just uh, Monterey supporters either from Mexico or the United States expect when they go to Qatar? For you, just what are some do's that that you enjoy about Qatar? And obviously, I, I'll, I'll just ask, what are some don'ts? Just because, obviously, sure. it's a different environment, different cultures. So, what are your do's and don'ts for for people that are planning to head to Qatar for this Club World Cup in December? Okay, well, one thing about this Club World Cup is that it's very much a build up for the World Cup in 2022. Uh, Qatar have got the Club World Cup, I think, for the next two or three years. So, firstly to any kind of Raylandos fans who are coming over, just come over and just take it all in and enjoy it. Um, I think that Qatar is a very small country. Um, only two stadiums are going to be used for this tournament. Uh, one of them being the Education City tournament, if you get past the latter stages. but uh, And also the Hamad uh, Bin Khalifa Stadium, which is the stadium for Al Sadd. Um, culturally, there's so many different things here. You know, there's kind of uh falcons like a falcon souk and there's camels and there's that kind of very maybe if if you're thinking as a as a someone from the states or mexico what you think about arabian culture there are all of those kind of great things to see and do here um obviously you know there are you know there are some kind of don'ts in terms of perhaps alcohol um obviously that's a big concern i guess going into the world cup but basically it means that any alcohol that you have has got to be in a hotel um, but it's not a major issue. Once you kind of get here and get the lay of the lands, you'll kind of realise that that's the way things are here and you can't really be walking around with a beer on the street, if you know what I mean, like perhaps in the States or in Mexico. Um, but in terms of that, uh, yeah, I guess I guess obviously, you know, people want you to be respectful, but in the same time, if you're going to a football match and you're cheering and you're chanting outside the the stadium or or on the way into the stadium, that's not going to be a problem, I don't think. I think that there are probably a lot of misconceptions about Qatar, that it's kind of a very uh, strict state uh, in terms of of these kind of things, that you can't do certain things. But the organisers of this tournament and obviously of the World Cup have said that anyone is welcome, 
any color creed sexual orientation they're all welcome so just come and enjoy it that that would be my my mm-hmm. kind of feeling really sure. uh, yeah no thanks that that's really appreciative because i know the people from mexico and the us it's going to be it's going to be a different it's gonna be a, yeah. not 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 a culture shock, but it's just gonna be something different. Which is sometimes it's good. So different is good, but you also want to be respectful when you're entering a country that you probably never visited before, or thought about visiting before. But yeah. let, let's get into the football side of things. Uh, Qatar, okay. obviously, you said that they're gonna be hosting the CWC for the next couple of years as they prepare for the uh, the World Cup in 20, 2022. Um, yeah. But so how how how's the vibe in the city right now? Because we're under two months before things get started. Obviously, you're gonna have people from Liverpool, uh, Mexico, and Mon- uh, Monterrey. Obviously, whoever wins the the Copa Libertadores, so you're gonna have some different people from different types of, of of parts of the world. So how is the how's the city or how's the region getting? prepared for this influx of tourists because like i said we're under two months so are you seeing signs that uh that that show that okay we're it's starting people are starting to get ready for this tournament absolutely uh, i mean obviously a couple of weeks ago fifa announced the stadiums which were going to be opened and, and used for the tournament they're obviously using the education city stadium uh which is going to be a brand new facility um in doha it's a brand new stadium it's going to be used at the world cup and they're actually going to be opening that on Qatar National Day. Uh, so whoever gets through from Al Sad and uh, Raylandos, hopefully, uh, will, will, will go and play that first game in a World Cup stadium on the National Day of Qatar. So that's a huge, huge deal here. Um, I think, obviously, recently we had the IAAF World Athletics Championships in Qatar. And after a pretty slow start in terms of uh, fan attendance and, and obviously kind of questions about the the conditions for the athletes, uh, I mean, certainly on the ground here, that that kind of changed after a first kind of three or four days of being quite slow in the stadiums. It got busier and busier. And uh, and obviously football is the number one sport out here in Qatar. And, uh, and, and you know, there's obviously so much excitement to, to be hosting such a kind of a pretty prestigious tournament and obviously welcoming a team, you know, teams from around the world, uh, including, you know, the European champions, Liverpool, uh, the Copa Libertadores winners, whoever they may be, and obviously Ray Landos and, and obviously the Asian Champions League winners as well. So it's uh, the excitement slowly building, but obviously there's going to be these final preparations underway, uh, perhaps with the metro lines as well. There, there, there's rumours that the metro is going to be open to Education City Stadium, so it's going to be easier for fans. Uh, and obviously the final preparations in getting the stadium completely perfect as well. And let's let's talk about Al Saad just because that's that's the team I, I want to focus on because not a lot of people, especially in Mexico and the U.S., are going to know Al Saad. So, yeah, can you give us just a brief summary before we go into details of their season so far? Yeah, sure. So Al Saad are probably considered one of the biggest teams in Qatar. Um, obviously, as you know, they've got a pretty famous coach in the minute in terms of Javi Hernandez. Uh, who played for them. Uh, Previously, they've had some pretty legendary players, Raul being another one. Um, And and they've got a... They're they're considered Qatar's most successful club, uh, generally. So, uh, yeah, they're they're the big boys of Qatari football, if you want to call them that. (laughs) Yeah, I've... uh... Before I before we started recording, I, I or wait like a couple of weeks ago when we got in contact, I, I went I ran through their through their squad and they do have some like notable noticeable names like obviously Javi's their head coach. They also have Gabi mm-hmm. 
Gabi, who people might know, spend a lot of time with Atletico Madrid. So how is this like influx of of talented like pl- players with name recognition? How has that helped grow Al Saad's profile? I mean, Al Saad have always kind of um, you know down the years always had big names. Uh, so this isn't new, but obviously. Uh, when they brought Xavi in three years ago, I think at the time he was probably one of the hottest free agents in world football. Um, and and, that, and they brought Xavi in as part of a longer term plan uh, linked with the World Cup and linked with the development of those players and uh, at team at Al Sadd and also wider Qatari football. Um, so, so, you know, this ploy of bringing in, you know, a Barcelona legend, the most caps ever so far for Barcelona. Um, has really, really worked. It's, it's, you know, Xavi attracted Gabby in many ways um, to come over and play with the team. And their experience um, has really helped quite a talented crop of Qatari players develop a kick on to the next level. And that's obviously been shown at national level with uh, the Asian Cup win this year. Yeah. And how's Xavi just transitioned from player to coach? I'm not sure if this is, his, I think, is his first season as a head coach, if I'm not mistaken. But how's that transition for player to coach gone for, for Al Saad? Yeah, I mean, so far it's gone pretty, pretty well. Um, having, you know, spoken to him, uh, he, he's always seen himself as a coach. Uh, even, even when he first signed with Al Saad, there was always talk maybe a year into his contract that he was going to be eventually the coach. It was an open secret here in Qatar that his first coaching job was going to be with Al Saad. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's a natural fit. He loves talking about football, as you could probably imagine. Um, you know, the moments outside the press conferences when you talk to him, he's very approachable. He's always, you know, got something to say about Barcelona, a little bit off the record. And and he, he's, he's kind of, in, very much feels like to me, he's in the mould of a Pep Guardiola in terms of he's a, a football fanatic. He watches everything. He pours over everything. He's very detailed. He's got a very good back back staff, you know, uh, back backroom staff with him. Uh, and, you know, so far, he's been pretty successful with Al Saad, I guess. He's, uh, you know, they're doing really, really well. Uh, they're, they're third in the league at the moment. Uh, they have lost one game. But uh, but apart from that, they're, they're, they're there or thereabouts. And they've actually got probably one of the best squads in Qatar. Um, and they've also been doing very, very well in the Asian Champions League. Um, well... Not so well right now, but, you know, in the previous knockout rounds, Xavi masterminded wins over Al Duhail, which is like a local team here from Qatar as well. And also Al Nasser, where they actually battled back from a, a goal down in the second leg to go through there. So, so, so far, he's been very measured. He's been very kind of tactically astute. And he's actually, you know, uh, set his team up well for, for the vast majority of the games he's been playing in. Managing editor for the SB Nation blog. Uh, that covers Liverpool, and and yeah, so uh, welcome Stephanie. I I do not know how to pronounce your last name, and I don't want to butcher it. So if you can pronounce your last name, sure. Uh, hi, my name is Stephanie Carriott, and yeah, I, I am one of the managing editors for the SB Nation SB Nation blog, uh, the Liverpool Offside. So before we get into Liverpool. How did, let me just ask, how did you end up becoming not just a Liverpool supporter, but a soccer fan since, you know, it's still a growing sport in the U.S. And how did you end up just deciding, hey, I want to help contribute to Liverpool content? Well, I got into soccer through the uh, U.S. women's national team, 
who are obviously a pretty big deal here in the States. And I remember watching uh, the World Cup when they first, or when they won it for the second time uh, in 99. And so I was like a an okay fan until then, kind of off and on. And then in the 2010 World Cup, for whatever reason, I don't know, it was just the right time for me. And I just decided that I loved it. And um, I really liked the, the sort of drama of it. It's like every week is a soap opera, and I think it's wonderful. It's like watching a telenovela. Mm-hmm. Um, how I got, I, I don't know how I chose Liverpool because obviously I'm not from Liverpool. Yeah. I, I, after that World Cup, I decided that I was going to follow a Premier League team. I originally was very against Liverpool because they had <laughs> Gerard, who had scored against the United States yeah. in that World Cup, and I was very petty. Um, but I had decided to try Arsenal and that first game of the season in 2010 Arsenal played Liverpool and it was like a shambolic game for Liverpool it was just embarrassing they had they got an early lead and then they lost or no they lost they they tied in like the very last minute because the keeper Pepe Reina let a ball just dribble right through his hands and uh I was like I don't know I like an underdog underdog I was like them yes And I, I just, I followed the Liverpool offside for years, and the managing editor, Noel, he just asked me if I wanted to start contributing, and it went from there. So yeah, let, let, let's get into just the, the run that Liverpool had to, to qualify for this Club World Cup, but before I get into that, just give me your thoughts in general about the CWC, like how, how to, how to not just, uh, how not just how you you feel about it, but how does your the whole staff feel about this tournament that's coming up in in December? I think we all think it's coming at the worst possible time. Um, most other teams, I think even in Europe, would have uh, would be I think just going into their winter break at this time or in the middle of December. Liverpool do not have a break. At that time, this is it's actually uh, the busiest time in their schedule. Uh, I looked it up. They have uh, six other games in December that they're playing in addition to these one, maybe two. Uh, so it's it's fun. It's always we love a chance to win another trophy, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be interesting to get to see new stadiums and play different teams. And I always enjoy that. But yeah, it's it's coming at a really difficult time in the season. Yeah, considering that a lot of Premier League clubs, they it, the, the whole Premier League just plays through that winter break. It it, it turns into like a a festive. I I don't I don't know the, the correct. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It, it's just like three weeks nonstop. Where other European clubs, it's usually a break. But I know Premier League clubs, they just play through it and then they'll get their break on the other side of, of the new year. So yeah, this is the this is the first year they actually are getting winter breaks. They usually they used to not. Yeah. Uh, but this year they're doing it, but it's not until February, so it doesn't help much in this case. So how do you think Liverpool should approach this tournament? Do you see them? I, I know we'll get into Mohamed Salah more in detail because uh, there was an article written in the Daily Mail about him. But how do you think the Jurgen Klopp's gonna just? go about this tournament is it would you see some starters mixed in with some of the guys from the bench or how do you think it's it's going to be approached i mean it's in two months from now i guess it depends on what what we look like fitness wise i want to say 
It's probably going to be a mix of the the kids and the more mature players. Uh, in our midfield, especially, we have a lot to choose from. So you could see the bigger players like James Milner, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, maybe even Nabi Kaita getting to go. Um, and so that that gives us a really strong kind of like backbone. I think I don't know if we'll see Sadio Mane. I don't know if. Roberto Firmino or any of that front three, uh, Mohamed Salah, I don't know if they'll be going. It also kind of depends, I guess, on what FIFA expect. Like, do they, mm -hmm. are they going to insist that we have like the strongest yeah. team possible for this big, this big tournament that they're planning? I don't know. But um, I do think we'll, you'll be seeing some of the young kids like uh, Rian Brewster is a really big prospect for us. Uh, Curtis Jones in the defense. So, yeah, I think it, it'll be a mix. I, I'm really interested to yeah. see actually what how it ends up happening. But right now, right now we're all healthy. Yeah. But in two months, who knows? Yeah, I never th that idea of FIFA insisting or giving that little nudge to say, hey, why don't you start or bring some of these players and start th some of these players. That's never crossed my mind. But that is something to think about because I mean, not to get into the shady stuff of how Qatar ended up becoming yeah. selected <laughs> for the World Cup, yeah. but uh, they've. You know, Qatar has put in so much money into building these new stadiums. I know one of the stadiums that's uh, going to be hosting. I know it's two stadiums. One of them is brand new. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to want some star power from from Liverpool. But uh, let's let's get into how Liverpool got to this point. Let's let's take it back last year. What were your expectations heading into that Champions League 2018 uh, 2019 season? Well, you know, they'd made it to the final in the season before. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was a more, I think, improbable run. Nobody, that, that season before when they ended up losing to Real Madrid, nobody expected them to get that far. It was just, it was amazing. And the fact that they lost was heartbreaking, but wasn't like the worst thing ever. Uh, last season, though, was different. I mean, I think everyone felt it. We were doing so good in the league as well. Um, I, if you're familiar, we came in second to Manchester mm -hmm. City last yeah. season, but we only lost by a point, and we were doing, we lost one game, and the yeah. game we lost was to Manchester City. Yeah. Um, ugh. But, uh, <laughs> <just remembering laughs> um, but we, but we seemed, Anfield just seemed impenetrable, especially in, um, in the league, but especially in the Champions League, I think. It just it felt so good. Like, all those amazing Anfield nights, you could see the energy. It it really felt like something special was going to happen that season. Uh, you could – it would have been incredibly disappointing if we hadn't gotten some – hadn't walked away with some kind of trophy. Mm. Um, and it didn't happen in the Premier League. But, yeah, that, that, that Champions League program was amazing. I mean, it was my first – it was my first time seeing them win a big trophy. It yeah. was really something special. Yeah, no, no, definitely. They, they've, they, they went on a. I mean, I'm a PSG supporter, so I kind of got familiar with them through that group stage. Mm -hmm. So it was, and then I paid, a, especially through through the end of 2018, I kind of kept a tab on them. Just I, I made it an effort to watch a little bit more Liverpool matches, just because they were in the group. And so one of the, I, I know. Allison gets the love from everyone, and he's arguably top for me. He's top three goaltender or go go goalie wise mm -hmm. in the world. How do you think he solidified? Because I, I feel like they just get a confidence from him that they never had from someone. Obviously, Virgil Van Dyke as well. Those two are the backbone defensively. But how much 
does do those two just mean to Liverpool as as you know they eventually won the Champions League and are now having their sights set on finally winning that Premier League title? Mm-hmm. I think that having that spine there was so important uh, for years. For years, Liverpool would have amazing offense, and just the defense was a shambles. It was awful. I mean, we would we would leak goals at you know at the worst possible times. I mean, there's no good time for a goal, but you know you'd think you'd have it, and then suddenly you go from three one to four three, and you don't even know how it happened. And so just getting Allison in there, getting Van Dyke in there, but then also our fullbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have. Um, we have Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's come through, who's been amazing on the right. And then left back has been a huge issue for us uh, for years. We just can't seem to find and keep a left back. And now Andy Robertson is, we got him for a steal from, from Scotland. And he's probably the best left back uh, in the Premier League, if not one of the best in Europe right now. So I think just the solidity of that whole defense has really just been the big difference back there. And, you know, obviously Van Dyke has a partner, and it almost doesn't matter who the partner is. He just makes everyone better. You know, he makes everyone feel more confident. He makes everyone, he allows them all to play, do the things that they're good at and not have to worry about the things they're not good at because Virgil Van Dyke is good at everything. So, you know, he can always just pick up the slack. And it feels amazing not being concerned when a defender passes back to the goalkeeper yeah. like he's gonna get this ball like yeah. i don't have to worry about it anymore and it was like i'd hold i'd hold my breath every time it happened in years prior and joining me now is jimmy torrejon who was the co-host and producer of the now rest in peace uh canary and blue <laughs> canary and blue <laughs> podcast which was the podcast that covered uh everything brazilian uh soccer whether it be the clubs there uh, Brazilians abroad. So, Jimmy, I know how much you are a Liverpool fan, and when I would listen to the podcast, you would you would take some time to talk Liverpool uh, whenever the whenever they came up. So, I thought, why not invite you here? Uh, and yeah, uh, just uh, before we uh, just uh, dive into the the topics and everything, how did you end up becoming a Liverpool supporter, and has it just uh, taken over your life? Because I feel like every time I see you being active on Twitter, it is majority <laughs> Liverpool related. Yeah, um, Eddie, thank you so much for having me. I've seen, first of all, this Twitter handle when it was just a Twitter handle for Rayados 90 start, um, and I've seen it grow, and I am just so happy to see like how far it's come along. It used to be just like literally gifs, right? Like, yeah. Just, yeah. That's all you did, and you picked up a lot of supporters and followers that way yeah. just because it was funny in the first place. And then you're like, wait a second, this is actually turning out to uh, be growing. I remember <laughs> yeah. when you tweeted that. I was like, okay, why are like, uh, reporters yeah. with like, verified accounts and people who like are uh, in media in Monterey following me? So I was like a little, okay, I think uh, I got to be, be a little bit more professional. So, yeah. But no, I, 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 think, I, I think what kind of made me more like, okay, you know what? I kind of want to take this seriously is because I think I heard the, your last podcast that you guys did like back in July and and I know it was more like Brazilian football related but I think you can apply it to like if you're just passionate about a certain subject topic and you want and you feel like it's not being covered by quote-unquote mainstream I guess for this case soccer Mm. media just you know if you're passionate about it do it yourself and you never know where it's gonna go so uh, I, I think that's when I uh also just was like okay you know what I kind of want to see this grow and 
just like the second half of this year because i started this like in february and like the second yes. half of this year it's kind of taken off where i'm like oh damn yeah <laughs> no that's that's amazing and and chase i mean chase and i did canary and blue and i'm sorry we're talking about canary and blue first but he's he and i started canary and blue because he loved brazilian soccer and as you mentioned it was it was kind of a niche market right we didn't know who would listen to us and how we would listen we had no idea we Especially just in english too yeah like it was, exactly it was and, and and that's what I think with, with what you did with Rayados 90 as well. It's just like, it's a very niche market. There's, I, I believe you're the first one in English to actually cover solely uh, Monterrey, if I'm correct, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, now what you notice is that, especially because of the, the Club World Cup, you have people who really want to know, oh, who is this team that's coming out of Mexico? Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off, Jimmy. I'm getting like getting tagged and like from international media and like it's uh, Arabic. I think that's the language. Uh, mm. I'm not. I'm sorry if anybody's listening. Uh, that's Qatari, but but yeah, I'm I'm just getting tagged in tweets with the. Uh, I think it's Arabic uh, language, so it's just weird. Uh, especially these last couple of days where it's just they're tagging me with like some media companies that are like really big in mexico and it's just like i'm just i just started this <laughs> like like earlier this year and you were to tell me um like fast forward to the end of the year you're going to be tagged with like a major newspaper in monterrey uh when when you know uh, international media is like you know trying to i guess grab the attention so it's just like yeah i know it's it's a it's a little weird yeah absolutely and but i just wanted to say i'm i'm super happy to see how how you're just moving along with this project and thank you so much for inviting me on as well. Um, let me answer your question as to the reason I started supporting Liverpool. Um, I started supporting Liverpool almost 10 years ago now, so I, I feel like I can kind of talk about my fanship without being like, oh, I just started two years ago type thing. Uh, I, the reason I started following Liverpool is because I kind of in 2010 uh, was kind of supporting Spain and there's one of their main strikers even though he was injured in 2010 was Fernando Torres figured out Fernando Torres was at Liverpool then I what I did was I actually watched one of the YouTube compilation videos of how they came back in uh, 2005 in the Champions League against AC Milan when they were losing 3-0 at the, at the half and that movie on YouTube actually like made me really emotional so I kind of just jumped right into it uh, to give you some context, Liverpool were nowhere near the success that they are right now. They were very historically successful when I started supporting them. That year, they uh, had just hired Roy Hodgson, uh, Hodgson as their manager. Uh, they ended up buying uh, all of these players that really had no business in Liverpool. Uh, not to offend these players, but like Christian Paulson, uh, Paulson and uh, they also had this uh, left back that I can't think off the top of my head his name because he was that bad. Uh, but it was just a, a torrid time. The first match I watched was actually against Arsenal, in which Pepe Reina ended up bundling the ball in the back of his net, and uh, Liverpool ended up drawing the game 1-1 with 10 men when they were up in like the last 15 minutes of the game. So I kind of just jumped straight in. I watched them uh, since 2010, and I've seen them actually be in the bottom three. Uh, they were in the bottom three that first half of the season for, I think, one or two matches, and then they climbed out of it. Kenny Daglish came in. He did his run. They gave him a permanent contract, which I actually was not in support of. I was like, it was, I was like, you could kind of tell, you know how sometimes a club will pick up a manager who has legendary status, whether he was a player, and then like they give him this run, kind of like what they did with uh, uh, Solskjaer at, at Man United, and like they do really well, and they kind of drop off. And then, you know, I watched Kenny Daglish come in. Then I watched Brendan Rodgers come in. 
went through that whole 13-14 season. It was nuts. I still remember those mornings waking up at 4.30. Not that I don't anymore, but like back then it was new, right? Waking up at 4.30 to watch Norwich and, and Liverpool play. And then Klopp coming in. It was, it's been a crazy nine, almost ten years as a Liverpool supporter from the United States. Um, it's, 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 it's such a fun club to watch. And to go through those ups and downs just makes this peak so... Uh, special in that in that way because I understand that it could be that Liverpool probably won't be at such a peak forever. It just can't happen in the modern game. Things just kind of fall off, and I'm just enjoying the ride right now. And before we get on to how Liverpool got to the Club World Cup, just to recap, uh, just you know, uh, earlier this year, what was your reaction when Jurgen Klopp came in, and and now to the point now, like fast forward, I think what four years, three or four years later, he has a new contract extension. What was just your, I guess, expectations when he came in, and has he? Exe- I'm I'm gonna assume that he exceeded probably yes. expectations, but yeah. like just your initial expectations, uh, especially now, like when I look at the roster back then, uh, they kind of dropped a lot of money, and I think in the, in today's, especially in European football, you you got to be able to spend some cash. Like, sure, like I'm looking at Leicester City. Yes, those are always fun fairy tales but if you actually want to be a powerhouse and and compete uh you know year in and year out in champions league you have to have owners that with deep pockets so just uh just yeah just tell me what was your expectations uh when the Jurgen Klopp era started well when when Klopp came in it was just a couple of years removed or two two and a half seasons removed from that whole wonder season in which Liverpool lost out again to Manchester City, right, by four points in in the run-up to the league. And I was all in for Brendan Rodgers. And he played wonderful attacking football. And Liverpool was leaky at the back. And you could see this was a manager who was just finding his feet. He was just that one of the most historically successful, which means your modern uh, supporter base is always going to feel that pressure of wanting to win. And so the change that happened in Rodgers was that I saw him go from, I'm going to go out to win every single match to I can't lose a match. And that just completely changed the way that Liverpool were playing. So when Klopp came in, knowing his history of also a counter-attacking, high-pressing, heavy metal football as it was back then, it's evolved a little bit since then, but he came in and he was a very attacking uh, and, and, um, you know, beautiful football type of manager. It It was a good change again. It was a breath of fresh air because we had just, seen about a season in, in the couple of months that he had uh, Brendan Rodgers where he was just trying to not lose games. So expectations were um, we have a talented squad. Liverpool had a talented squad and you would assume that Klopp would be able to get the best out of them because he was known as a very good player manager as well. I mean, a manager for, for the players as well, has good relations with them and helps them play uh, better than maybe they have been playing, brings out the best in them. So expectations were top four which were uh, met in a season. But in his first three-fourths, I would say three-fourths of a season, leading Liverpool to two cup finals, both of them losing, of course, uh, the League Cup against Manchester City and then the Europa League uh, final against Sevilla, if I remember that correctly, losing those two games. But it was exceeding expectations in the first season, even though he hadn't reached uh, the top four, which they had missed out. I think they were in eighth place at the end of that season. But you could see the players really rallying behind Jurgen Klopp from the very beginning and the owners when you're talking about spending money so these American owners actually started in 2010 as well Liverpool were 
very, very close to administration, which would have just toppled the club completely at that point in 2010. So because they also had American owners at that time. Uh, can't remember the names off the top of my head either, but it was. Yeah, it was it was a really bad time from what I understand. I don't have the historical perspective because I didn't start supporting Liverpool until after they were ousted. But I kind of just watched that happen. So when uh, John Henry and his company came in, uh, they actually spent a lot of money in their first window, if I remember correctly, when they bought Luis Suarez for it was like 22 million uh, pounds at that time. And they bought Andy Carroll for at that time was a, a British record of an English player within the Premier League, 35 million pounds when they sold off Fernando Torres to Chelsea, you kind of saw these owners were all in. You know, they their history is that they've owned the Boston Red Sox and they have broken, with their help, have broken their curse of not winning the World Series in, in the Major League Baseball in the United States. So you knew that these owners wanted to win and then they backed Kenny Dagleish coming in with that type of money. But when those players kind of didn't work out, when Kenny Dagleish got an actual summer window where he brought in uh, the likes of the captain Henderson, Jordan Henderson, he brought in Stuart Downing, and he brought in a couple of other players who didn't work out. It seemed as though the owners kind of stopped wanting to spend money. So that's when Brendan Rodgers came in, when they had a transfer committee, and there was uh, lots of rumors between the transfer committee and Brendan Rodgers not getting along in terms of his targets. So I was afraid, and that's a long way of me saying, I was afraid that the owners probably wouldn't uh, shell out the type of cash needed to Jurgen Klopp from the very beginning. But if Another thing about Klopp was that he also had a history of knowing how to be uh, frugal and being able to find uh, gems, uh, uh, you know, diamonds in the rough while he was playing, while he was managing at Borussia Dortmund because they also didn't have the type of money that a European powerhouse at that time uh, would have to buy these players. It, 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 I mean, it was known that most of Jurgen Klopp's players were actually being picked off of Bayern Munich. And it was, it was like, I bring all these players, I bring out the potential in them. They play with Borussia Dortmund for a while and they get bought off by the bigger man, uh, by the bigger club in Germany. So it was like a good marriage there because you had like a frugal manager and you had some owners that possibly didn't want to spend too much money at the beginning. But then as Klopp with his taking Liverpool to the finals and then uh, two finals in his first season and then taking them into the fourth, uh, into the top four in the very next season, these owners started to realize that they wanted him. Uh, and they wanted to back him. And they actually gave him his six-year extension after, I believe, it was just his first season. So whatever Klopp did, he really got the owners on his side, which then in turn has uh, started this uh, of buying players that are extremely expensive these days because of the market value, but also um, have been able to integrate into the squad. And now we have the squad that Liverpool has at the moment, which is, even with all the injuries that will most likely get into have been playing really, really, yeah. really well for about two seasons. It's actually uh, quite crazy. I don't even play this well on manager mode on FIFA when I'm playing <laughs> on easy. So whatever club's doing, um, the owners and I are totally behind it. Not that he needs my approval, though. Yeah. So just give me your thoughts in general since that uh, Ligia final loss against Santos about a year and a half ago and what's been transpiring at the Luca. I think that losing against Santos kind of just 
was kind of the tipping point of where everything started going downhill. I mean, obviously, everyone was super excited. I mean, especially me as a fan, um, following this team since I was small, having Crescent as a coach, I thought nothing gets cooler than that. Um, I'm probably, I probably wasn't the only one who thought that. And, you know, making yeah. the final, we were like, okay, yeah, like last time we won was 2010. And we were like, it's against Santos, been there, done that kind of mentality that we had. And I think that kind of was what came back and bit us in the ass in a way, in that we mm -hmm. got too confident with it and we didn't play our true style of game. That cocky mentality eventually was our downfall because, I mean, I know it was like about a year and a half ago, but I still remember those two games and how we had so many great opportunities to definitely defeat Santos. And I know it's kind of cheesy saying that because, you know, I'm a fan of Toluca, but it's true. We had a lot of missed opportunities and it was all because we had this mentality that, oh, we've defeated them before. We can defeat them now. And especially having the second leg be in Toluca and in the Messio Diez, which was our new stadium. Um, that, mm -hmm. um, that season, we had also gone undefeated at home. Many people were like, that's mm -hmm. the hardest visiting stadium to ever go and play in because of fans, just everything about it. The whole atmosphere is just super difficult. And it just got to us. It's just kind of that thing. I mean, I know I talk about it a lot to a lot of people where I was just saying, like when they would ask me, oh, like what happened to the team? Literally their cocky mentality was ultimately their downfall. It would help them in times, but in that final Toluca was a better team in many people's opinions. I'm not just trying to. I'm not trying to trash talk Santos, um, but I just feel. I just feel like Toluca didn't put up the fight that they were meant to put up. Uh, Pat, you want to ask anything? Yeah, and I agree with all with all, everything you've said. I think Toluca was that better team in, in the final, but you know. Uh, we've been the better team. Monterrey fans know this against, I don't know, the likes of Pachuca, our, our last final against Pachuca. We're just, for some reason, lost it. And it's stuff that happens. But I want to know, this season, you've had La Volpe now for a little while. Do you want him gone this week or you wait? Uh, just, I mean, every, I think... Oh, out of the anger that we just lost <laughs> today. And, I mean, I think this can go for any team in the Liga that is in America. You hate to lose to an opponent like that. You yeah. hate to lose to an opponent that's an hour away. I mean, there's not a super hardcore rivalry there. So, Luca doesn't really have many hardcore rivals. But just that there's a mountain that literally separates Mexico City and Toluca. And just that knowing that it was by one goal and it was against a coach who's been popular with that former team and stuff like that where you kind of just out of anger you just want him fired you like want him gone um but I think for the sake of the team I I would wait two more weeks I mean I know it would quickly be like okay if you wait two more weeks you guys lose two more games just kind of that thing like if it keeps on going as it has been, as it's been going um it's just it's just frustrating. You kind of think it can't get worse than this, but it can. We can lose two more games, and that's two games wasted. But it's also like, what are we going to do without a coach, basically? And, I mean, there's been rumors. Of, I mean, if anyone follows the Luca, that they really want Senya to come back and become the coach. But it's just that kind of thing where, is he ready to become coach? Or should we just wait to, like, kind of try to save any bit of this 
burnt out, like tragic season, like a tragic start to the season so far. Um, but it's kind of just mixed emotions of both because you kind of weigh your options of, oh, if we keep him, we can still continue losing. Um, but it'll kind of give some stability for the players that are there where they don't have to kind of transition between coaches and stuff like that. So just kind of weighing the pros and cons of it. So before I talk about this season, let me take it back to the Clausura. At one point was the lowest point for you for you as a fan because I saw against, you know, they were the only Liga MX team to lose to an MLS team. You know, not to put more salt in that wound, but I think it was it against Kansas City, their own fans were jeering them. You know, there was in the, I think they were giving them the Ole chance every time Kansas City was making passes or completing passes. So at what point in the Clausura last season did was it the lowest point for you? Um, I think it was that Kansas City game. Like it was mid end February where shit kind of hit the fan. Um, there was rumors within the institution that Cristante wasn't getting along with the directiva and that there was a lot of problems with that. Fans kind of started booing out this guy they used to idolize just because they weren't doing as good as they had a couple months beforehand. And I felt like the CONCACAF Champions League was just a really tough time for Toluca altogether. Um, it was just one of those tournaments that low-key made no sense for the team. It, like for them and their situation that they were in, it just didn't make sense because obviously stuff was rocky behind um, behind the doors, behind closed doors and all this stuff. And then to kind of be doing that whole traveling and stuff like that, it was just, they weren't getting the results they wanted and the fans obviously weren't pleased with it, hence why they were kind of um, doing all that. I mean, for me as a fan, you kind of knew that Kansas, that that time with Kansas City was kind of shitty when after that game they played in Kansas City I don't know if you guys heard about it um fans actually broke some of the um fell through the railing at the stadium in Kansas City and they ended up hurting Felipe Pardo who we had just acquired like two three weeks before and it was kind of just like okay like it was kind of like a bad omen from then on where we were just like it's not gonna get better than this and it kind of showed that throughout the rest of the season and months that we're still here in August and stuff hasn't gotten any better. Do you think is do you think is it that do you think that they spent money or what do you think is the problem? Like for the most part I'm not, I'm not maybe Pac can chime in on this, but for the most part since I've watched Liga Mekis, Toluca's always been like if they're not contending they're at least you know if they're not a title contender they're at least contending for a Liga spot. What do you think is the problem? Is it maybe the players that they've recruited, management, coaches not working out? What do you think is is the problem now uh, over these last two tournaments? I think the thing with the Luca is they like to settle. They like to be comfortable. Hence why our past coaches have been previous players. I mean, before Cristante, there was Cardoso. And then once Cristante left, La Volpe came in. But it, it was someone, he had already coached the Luca back in like 2001, 2002. So they like to be comfortable like that. Um, also, when Cristante, he acquired a lot of players he was comfortable with, a lot of Argentinians. And I know that angered a lot of fans on the team where they kind of thought he was showing favoritism. Um, the summer after we lost to Santos in the final, uh, we actually let go of Alexis Vega. Alexis Vega was a player that had come yeah. up to our system. And we kind of just sold him almost for nothing in a way. 
Um, Alexis Vega obviously struggled with his first season there in Chivas. Um, obviously now he's tearing it up and he's everyone's fi- fighting for him to start and all this stuff. But I felt like that was also a blow too for us because he was one of our young guys. He was um, the guy who was supposed to carry this team on. Obviously he got injured and that kind of set it back a little bit. Uh, but he didn't have much of a chance to prove himself between his injury and by the time we sold him. So I think kind of just Toluca was in Toluca and their their Tiva management and all this stuff was kind of in the in the mentality of sell the young guys. Let's hope to get money for them and buy older players, more experienced players from other countries. And it just didn't work out. I mean, um, our fuerzas básicas are one of our best assets of the whole team in general, where we have a lot of young guys who come up through the system and they stay with us and, you know, they know what it is to play for the love, like for the crest, like to play for the team. They know what it means to play for the city, to play for the fans, to play for the people. And that kind of love and passion was being sold out or traded away and stuff like that. And we were bringing in players who just wanted to be on, like, like you said, Toluca has always been a team that if they're not contending, they're near the top. They're like at the border. They're never, they never, they've never tanked. They never had a downfall or anything like that. Um, And these players from other countries were like, yeah, like, sure, Toluca sounds like a good team, blah, blah. They're like top eight or whatever. Let's go play for them. And they just did it for that. They weren't playing for the actual jersey. And I think that's what's frustrating fans now where they're realizing that most of the team isn't playing with that same passion that could be found in the younger guys who aren't being given a chance. Yeah, speaking of the beginning, uh, not just Rayadas, but La Liga MX Femenil as a whole, Libon has been uh, the great, a great follow, if not the best follow for that. Uh, you can tell, you know, how passionate she is and how she, you know, it's yeah. just, it started off as a hobby for her, but she ended up working on it because she's so passionate about it. So it's something I really <laughs> admire. And uh, you want, I know I, uh, I wanted to ask you, like, since it's grown to now, how it's grown, but what is the biggest thing that needs to keep growing in the coming years? Oof, that's a, that's a good question. I think that um, through the time, the clubs have, like, noticed that this project has to be serious. It has to be like maybe not the same effort because of the time that we, we Liga make is had just like two years ago almost. But I uh-huh. think that America is doing the good things. I think Pachuca is growing uh, pretty good. Chivas could, could, could do the same. Mm, Tigres is also growing. Uh, maybe, maybe Cruz Azul, Pumas. Because of the growth of the the male team, she'll do she'll do more or she'll do better stuff. But let's let's see what happens. It's it's the first time that Pumas will be in La Liguilla, so let's see what's happened. Yeah. Um, do, what do you I, think no, is ahead, like if you're a Liga MX uh, feminine player? What's your biggest? What's what's the thing you ask? What do you, uh, how do I ask this? What's the thing you need the most? Better pay, uh, better conditions. What do you think a Liga MX family player needs the most? And uh, as a whole, not just in Rayas, as a whole. Uh-huh. I think better conditions. When a club offers you a house, when a cl- club offers you studies, 
-hmm. a good field to train because mm -hmm. let's 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 be clear not not all the clubs have like yeah. good yeah. good uh, fields and good good stuff to train i think like the best conditions uh helps you to to do your best uh, at the field yeah i yeah. i cuz i wanted it, to add a, no go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. no okay. I, I, was, I just I just wanted to say that uh no go ahead Rampas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that 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 it's gonna come uh eventually. Um the good thing that I uh it's it's sounding like it's a it's a it's a podcast to to worship Yvonne, but just to be to be honest, the good thing about Rayadas is that they are creating their own fan base. They're they're trying to, to have their own image. We saw the controversy when they changed the the mm -hmm. the logo. Um, it was something that was a huge thing on social media. But I, I I'm all for it because one thing that I was trying to, to express on Twitter back in those days is that they're not the same. We we are not the same. It's a different thing. They have they have to have the, their own identity, and that uh, 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 along with the with the great results. What's gonna happen is that the pay is gonna be better, the conditions are gonna be better. This is for Ayadas at least, uh, because it's the first team that I saw do that. Because mm -hmm. every other team still uses the same logo as the, the male team. So I think that that's a a huge a huge step that Ayadas took, and I do wanna wanna mention that also. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I think that's something I was gonna touch on too. I think. Cruz Azul Feminine, they're the only ones with a different logo than the men's team. Like other, the, I think the other squads have the men's logo. They even have like the, the I think it's the Tigres. They have their own. They have the the men's stars, you know. And I think that's what. Not to take a shot at them, but um, you did. Yeah, uh, but I just like that they. I know it's controversial, but this team is their own. They want their own identity. Let them have it. Let them create their own history because you know they're their own team they're their own squad they're their own thing um but to touch on what pat was saying um like here in the in the u.s um women's sports is slowly getting you know the women are getting paid not as big as the men but they're getting paid as as professional athletes where they can make a living mm -hmm. like they don't have to work you yeah. know another job so i was gonna just follow up on what pat was saying do other do the women in lega mekis feminine do they get paid well where they can just focus on being you know soccer players or do they have to work another job well i think that the well talking about the first team uh, yeah cruz azul was the first team to change the the logo uh, and they also use another another uniform, another yeah. another brand uh, mm -hmm. on the uniform. So, and the the second question, I think it all depends on the city, mm -hmm. because there are more cities like uh, cheaper, uh, and there are uh, well, I, I could talk about here that yeah. they they had a they had a house to live they. Don't have to spend on those service and to 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 rent a house or something. Mm -hmm. I think that there are a lot, a lot of teams that could 
do better, yes, but there are a lot of things that helps to to the the the, the soccer player are like just training and eating well and sleeping well and to 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 start to be professional. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead, Rompas. I think. Yeah. Question. No, but I was, I was just gonna point it out that that the professionalism is gonna it's gonna come eventually with the uh, results. We we do have to uh, take into consideration that uh, the uh, Liga MX as the, on the on the female side it's 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 a, a new project. I mean, it's only been two years, I think. Mm-hmm. And they, they did have a huge progress, which I think is awesome. They are taking advantage of the of the social media, the social networks, because that is gonna grow their their fan bases. And uh, I think that maybe on on five to to eight years, we're gonna, we're gonna see that uh, improvement um, reflected on the on the payrolls on the on the on the installations yeah. of each club. I think that this is a, a project that, that as any new project, it's going to take time, but it's going to get there because at least here in Monterey, the, the games I have seen, they have good attendance. Some some games have better attendance than male games. So it's going to come. It's going to come. So. Yeah. It, and yeah, uh, jump. Jump in, and, uh, you know, in, in Rompas's direction. It seemed like a few years ago, the women's game, like worldwide, the soccer game worldwide, not just in Mexico, was newsworthy. Like every few years, like uh, the World Cup is coming up this year, and then you didn't hear about anything about women's soccer, mm-hmm. like in mainstream media, for years, literally years. Nowadays, uh, you know, you see it like every week, not not even every week, like almost every few days, really? and everything, like from just Liga, from leagues around the world, like. The Spain League breaking attendance records, and then the Champions League, the Women's Champions League. Mm-hmm. What we have in Mexico, what uh, what's happened in Argentina, and and I would like you want to talk to me more about. Uh, and forgive me for for forgive me for forgetting her name, uh, but this is a, there's a player in Argentina that there was huge controversy. I don't know if you uh, know more about this story, and I wanted to ask you about that. What what happened? And how that, how she impacted uh, professional soccer in Argentina for women. Yeah, in Argentina, it, it's a good, a good story to to tell. Boca Juniors team mm-hmm. were playing at at the street. They had to to buy the balls. They have to buy their jerseys. They have to to buy their own stuff. Even though I know a, a woman who helps them, who who. <laughs> who was like screaming out the goals? Yeah. Uh, that was like th- that was pretty amazing. And now that they they just played with La Bombonera, they mm-hmm. she 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 was crying. She was crying that day because she said dreams come true and those things. But I think like you know, truth and time tells all. You no, know? so I think in Argentina it's it's a good story. The record attendance in Spain in in Wanda Metropolitano with El Atleti, it's it's there are a lot of yeah. stories who, who has helped to the soccer for women still growing up. I just read a book from Abby Wambach. Mm-hmm. Maybe you you know uh-huh. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is called Wolfpack, and it's it's that thing when passionate women 
get as a team and work as a team and wants more and wants to achieve some some success, they could be like very strong. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a pretty mess. That's a good message to 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 say. Janet, uh, gracias por estar aquí. Uh, thank you for for being here. Uh, we're gonna start first with Rayadas, but not like their season or their. You know, we're gonna do some preview stuff for them. But before we get to that, the whole league, uh, Liga MX Femenil, they have a sponsor. So, Janet, can you tell us how big of a deal this new sponsorship for the league is? Yeah, well, uh, I think it's a big step for the Liga Femenil because they have been supported like by themselves and it has like they didn't give much importance to the Liga, so a lot of people didn't take it seriously and it makes it feel like it was a new league. And which is, I feel like more people are going to take it seriously, just like the Liga WWE that actually recently changed its name too. <laughs> so I think it's a big deal with all the money that is going to be in the teams now. Yeah, that's that's one of the main things I wanted because I think Rayadas, they have a club that has a lot of money that they can help support the women's squad, but a lot of other clubs or a lot of lot of squads they don't have that financial support from from you know what Rayados or the the parent ownership has like did you ever did you ever think this would happen this quickly because Liga Mekis Femenil only has like two years in existence do you ever think this would happen this quickly Uh, I really didn't see it happen this quickly I mean especially because a lot of things didn't happen the effort in making a better team or a competition with Kayas or Tigres, for example. Uh, so I didn't see this coming, actually. It was uh, for, a surprise for me. A lot of people, a lot of media that covers community. It was a surprise, really. Uh, uh, do you want to ask anything? Yeah, I, uh, first of all, hey, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's a really cool. Uh, invite for us for you to come here um my question is what do you think will be the first impact of course those will come with a lot of money so what do you think la liga femenil needs to work on first with this money uh, well first of all i think we need to put the girls in the stadiums a lot of teams didn't play in the big stadium just like pumas they play in the cantera la cantera and Rayadas actually didn't play all the, its games in the BBVA. They played at the bar, uh, El Barrial or uh-huh. uh, like that. So I think that's the first step because a lot of people need to see them more and a lot of people, like for example, here in Monterrey, don't want to go to the Barrial. It's, it's yeah. very far and I think that's the first big step that they need to make. Um, and uh, you speaking about that, I heard or I saw somewhere on Twitter saying that Rayas will will have half of their matches in the BBVA and half of their matches uh, somewhere else. Is that is that right? Okay. For I their home games. Know. I don't know exactly the information. I heard that they could play in 
uh, el tecnológico. Ah, uh, ya. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it could be a possibility because of the, la cancha de, de BUA. Uh -huh. yeah. Está muy maltratada, entonces. Yeah, that's a that's a step that that needs to get fixed. Not, I mean, not for not because it's for Rayados, it's for both teams. Mm -hmm. But we we definitely have to find a way to have it, uh, you know, protected just to, so that when it counts the most, when we're in La Liguilla with both teams, uh, you know, the mm -hmm. field to be in the best, best um, yeah, you know, place. Eddie, I I wanted to touch on that because I remember last season, uh, it was against. I believe Pumas in that uh, Ligia, the second leg. And I remember you posted the field was really bad. Not a lot of people stayed. Do you, how far has Riot, like the support from the people in Monterrey, like how far has it come since they came into the league? Like, is it, is it still the same amount of people supporting them? Or do you see like a bigger crowd coming, you know, coming in on a weekly basis supporting, supporting the squad? And, and sadly, I see the same amount of people. I mean, like 2,000 most. But they are, they are always there. I think that they don't, well, the schedule that I put in Rayadas affect a lot. So I see the same amount of people, but there are a lot of people that can go to the stadium or El Barrial that support them. So I think internet supporters mostly <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just because the, the the team is really good their last season they had like yeah. their best season ever granted it ended in disappointment but you know this is a really good team they have you know the i think they have one of the best squads in liga mexico i mean it's sure they don't have that trophy to show it but mm -hmm. if you go out there you see the you know I've I've started following them this past like this past Clausura was like the first time I tr you know being in the in the United States I can only watch through streams if I'm able to find one or just highlights through Twitter and and whatever you post and and other people that report during them during their matches and I think you know especially now that this a lot of people are getting captivated by the women's World Cup. Do you think you'll see more people showing up to to watch them? Because, you know, it, I think, when, you know, women's football, you have to just experience it in person and see how much these these women put in the same amount of effort, you know, same as the men. They put everything, you know, granted, it, it might be a little bit different. But still, if you go there, you see how much blood, sweat, and tears they, they put for each other matches. Do you think... You know, with the whole Women's World Cup captivating a lot of people, do you think it will spark more interest? Yeah, I think so because the girls play like you said, they played really well. They had the best season this last season, and they have gone pretty far. I mean, there's just one Liga they didn't pass. So the girls are a very great team. They're I don't believe. United, I don't know. So I think this World Cup is going to um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this, my, my English is kind one, of. One more thing 
before we go on to like the the previews of both squads. Do you think what do you think is that next step that Mexico in general needs to do to qualify for the Women's World Cup in your opinion? Because they didn't qualify this year, so you know, they I mean, considering like these other countries, I, I just look at the United States, they beat up on the, a lot of these countries, but when I saw them in their friendly against Mexico like maybe a couple weeks before the World Cup started, I mean, Mexico lost, but it wasn't that bad. Like, it wasn't the 13 nothing Thailand had. And, you know, it was, I think, if I remember, 3-1, 4-1. It was, it, was, it was relatively close. So what do you think Mexico in general needs to do, uh, whether it be fin- more financial support or, or anything in general, so that way they can qualify for uh, the World Cup or the Women's World Cup in, uh, in four years? I don't think... Uh to see more that, uh, can I talk in Spanish? <laughs> yeah, si, sí, no, si, sí, si. Sí. Ok. Eh, yo creo que principalmente necesitan ver más a las chicas de la liga, porque siento que se están encerrando mucho en las mismas seleccionadas y hay muchísimo más talento dentro de la liga de MX Femenil. Además de que la liga de MX Femenil lleva apenas dos años, mientras que la de Estados Unidos lleva muchísimos años, la de Francia, la de Sevilla, Entonces siento que México apenas va empezando, se está encerrada, encerrado en sus mismas seleccionadas, que incluso Rebeca Bernal, Liga de Mercados, o sea, las mismas seleccionadas de siempre, porque no había una liga para ver esos talentos. Entonces yo siento que en estos próximos cuatro años, con el crecimiento que va a tener la liga, más el patrocinador que viene, que es el BBVA, siento que va a crecer más la liga y eso va a ayudar más a la selección, para ver más jugadoras destacadas, ver jugadoras que tal vez necesiten Necesito esta selección y lamentablemente sacar jugadores que simplemente ya no dan para la selección. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Real 90. Uh, as you all know, here in the US, where me and Eddie are located, we see the Monterrey home matches at, in Fox Deportes, uh, in English and in Spanish, so Fox Sports as well. And uh, tonight we have some of, uh, or one of their. Uh, their team and the from the broadcast team, Mariano Trujillo, it's a pleasure to have you with us and thank you for joining us. No, thank you very much for having me, guys. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Eduardo. Uh, it is my pleasure to to be here with you guys. And well, I'm ready. I'm ready to roll. <laughs> and since you talk about or you cover Rayados for for Fox, we'll, we'll start there. Just give me your initial thoughts on when you heard that Rayados finally fired uh Diego Alonso because I was hearing your podcast with that you do with Rodolfo Landeros and mm-hmm. and John Laguna and you you were saying that the team just they were winning they were getting results but they just didn't look good so were you surprised that they finally fired him um I wasn't surprised I was hoping that um they were a little bit more patient with uh with Diego Alonso I like uh, what I saw in the previous tournaments, at least the idea, I had the opportunity to be at uh, El Barrial a couple of times and watch some training sessions. And I really liked the, uh, uh, Diego's idea. Um, we didn't have the chance to play together. We play against each other when he was with Pumas, but we have a lot of friends in common. So um, asking about Diego Alonso, his uh, personality, you know, he's a winner. And he's uh, as a good uh, Uruguayan, he's intense and he demands. So the, the training sessions were like that. 
Uh, I'm not saying that the previous coach wasn't intense, but just the, the soccer idea, that the philosophy was a little bit different. Um, this team was was used to uh, be a, a pacey team, to play to um, uh, to use their, their speed, to play the, the counterattack. And they were also wanting something different. And I think um, actually just the, the, the training sessions were, were completely different. He was training very intense for a short period of time. Actually, she, he explained to me uh, the way he designed the training sessions and um, the way he designed the training sessions, he didn't have uh, or it wasn't good for the players to play a, a long amount of time. He, the, the training sessions should should be short in order for them to be focused and to uh, be sharp in the game. So I think he was starting a, a new transition from uh, the nutrition, for, from the, um, the physical trainers. So it, it was a, diff, a completely different idea. And I believe since day one, a few players um, didn't, didn't buy what Diego Alonso was, was selling. So I, was, I wasn't surprised because I saw a couple of signs here and there. Um, uh, when, when Diego Alonso was given instruc instructions, usually when I cover the games, I'm, I'm on the field and I'm, I'm just right there by Rayado's uh, bench. So when Diego Alonso was giving some ins instructions, some players were like, yeah, okay, I will do it. And some other ones, the body language w w wasn't the, the right one, wasn't the, the proper one. So those, those signs um, tell you that, that something is not good. That in, in, in the podcast that I was um, uh, talking with John and, and Rodolfo, I mentioned that uh, uh, from my experience as a player, um, I believe that some of the players and, and the majority of the players weren't buying Diego Alonso's message anymore. Uh, it worked the previous tournaments because of their results, but they didn't buy it completely. And now with bad results, uh, it was it was even more. Uh, actually, two players, not in a bad way, but in a respectful way, uh, during the last game uh, in, in the Clásico, when Diego was giving them instructions to do certain movements, they were like, man, I don't want to do that. And, and they did something different. Uh, in the end, it was it was the same. But uh, but the body language and the reaction wasn't wasn't the, the one um, of a player that is trusting the coach. Yeah, that's really interesting because I remember in Diego Alonso's first season, uh, switching from Mohamed to him, uh, he had a total of 20-something injuries in the team, some with multiple injuries and some with recurring injuries. But does that is that that change, that change of, uh, of intensity in training or nutrition? Or, or why the, the, those 20-something injuries happened to Diego Alonso in his first season? Yeah, probably. Uh, a few of them were muscular uh, injuries. Mm -hmm. So, yes, probably the, the different intensity, the different uh, way of training. Uh, it, yes, it was affecting Diego Alonso. Uh, there yeah. were some other ones that uh, weren't related with that. But, um, yeah. but even with that, I believe Diego Alonso... Um, did a good job with all those injuries, switching to a backline of four, to a backline of five, and they, after uh, changing to the backline of five, uh, they found some stability and they uh, were able to play the cup final. Mm -hmm. uh, and everything, everything uh, seemed to, to you know, be going in the right way, in the right direction. Uh, the second tournament was the same thing, but this one, it's really hard as a coach to have a, a roster like Rayados, because you have uh, Van Gioni, which is a uh, Copa Libertadores champion. Uh, he's a very well-known player in Argentina. He has a good resume. And, and not being able to play enough minutes, obviously he's not happy. Uh, Dorlan Pavon as well. So that, that was, 
I believe the biggest challenge for Diego Alonso, and, and um, um, after what happened, I believe uh, he wasn't able to manage those situations in the locker room um, in a good way. Do you think he was overwhelmed? Because I know a lot of coaches can't manage a lot of talents or egos that in, in, in the locker room. Do you think that? I know with Pachuca, he had a lot of young, really good players like Lozano, uh, Pizarro and, and Gutierrez, he had, you know, and veterans to go with them that bought into what he was selling and that's how they were able to win the league. But do you think that just having so many players that are making a lot of money and have, you know, the resumes, like you said, uh, about Vangioni, do you think that it was just an overwhelming challenge for him? Yeah, probably, yes, that was an overwhelming challenge. It's not easy. Probably that's the hardest part uh, um, of being a coach. I had the, the privilege to... Uh, be an assistant coach in Mexico one year. Actually, the, the year that I retired as a soccer player, I was doing both. Uh, mm -hmm. But the, the, the initial uh, position that I got in, in Jaguares was an assistant coach. Um, and it, it's really hard. It's really hard to deal with egos. It's really hard to deal with big names, um, especially to convince the, the players, those big names, to do probably something that they don't like or something that they're not used to. Um, and... Once I was there, and, and sometimes you don't understand, it's like, why I, why do I need to change something that has been working for me for the last five, six, seven years? Uh, why do I need to change it now? Um, th that's the biggest challenge for a coach. And, and yes, at one point, Diego Alonso, to me, was a little bit overwhelmed with that and also with the critics. Because uh, in, in Monterrey, they're very yeah. uh, cr critical about the team. It was it was uh, shocking to me that the team was doing well and the fans weren't showing up for the games. So yeah. they're very, they're very demanding. Yeah, and another thing that's going on in Monterrey, and and this is a little bit of why I don't put that much of a blame on Diego Alonso, is because we consider, or Monterrey fans consider that really, uh, you 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 got you brought Diego Alonso because of the way he works. Now you know how he works. Uh, you know the players that he needs to succeed and how he plays, but we we think that the board didn't get those type of players that Diego Alonso could succeed with. Do you think there's a little bit of a um, clash in philosophy with the players and with the coach? Um, a little bit, yes, uh, especially with the offensive players. And um, yeah. and I'm just going to give you a quick example. Uh, Uh, Dorlan Pavon, for example, you know, he's an amazing player, the player with the most assists for, for the team uh, mm -hmm. in the last two tournaments. But, but defensively, defensively he, he doesn't help, at least in the way Diego Alonso was asking him to do it. That's mm -hmm. why in, in the last games he was on the bench. And, uh, and after that, uh, he started to play differently. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yes, I, I think some of the players uh, were in... Uh, the right players to play Diego Alonso's style. And, uh, and I had the chance as well to, to uh, talk with Duilio Davino, Rayados president, and, uh, and they, were, they were convinced that Diego Alonso was the right guy and, and they were changing little by little the, the roster. Obviously, they, they have an amazing roster, you know, but probably another center back with, with different, different characteristics. With Mohamed, it was a very direct game. Yeah. Uh, with Diego Alonso, sometimes, because I was there on the field, when they were playing long balls, Diego Alonso was uh, turning to, to his assistant saying, that's not what I want, you know, mm -hmm. and then going back to the players and, tell, and telling them, you know, keep possession of the ball, let's pass the ball. Uh, but but it's, it's, it was the, the player's nature to play that way because somehow 
they were successful playing like that previously. Yeah, we have a guest, Juan Bouchade, and I know this la his last name perfectly. I didn't have to ask him before, of course. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have a Juan. You all know him on, on Twitter. Um, he he will tell us more about what he does and everything. But I've talked with him numerous times uh, on Twitter, also in Troncos y Cracks uh, with the ABC Radio. And, you know, he'll talk more about all of this. But yeah, we have it's, it's a great guest for us. Uh, uh, this is a fun fact. You're our first verified on Twitter guest. So, yeah. Ah, that's cool. That's cool. Hello, everybody. And well, this is Juan Bouchade. Yeah, you pronounce it properly. And let's start talking about football. Perfect. So, Juan, how did you end up be hosting a radio show in Monterrey? And how did you end up in Monterrey? Because Pat told me you're originally from Puebla. Yeah, you know, uh, I arrived to the city like uh, 18 years ago because of my father's job. And, well, I started to work on TV Azteca. I spent seven years working there. And now the radio show is more like a hobby. Mm -hmm. uh, three years ago, the media, TV was my life. But, you know, you know the atmosphere is not that cool. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's sometimes it's kind of, kind of special. So I have my own business and I'm focusing on it and... That's it. The radio show, it's just like a hobby. I work with Careca. The, he's a former Rayados yeah. player. Uh, we also had Juan de Dios Ibarra. That he's now with Dorados of Sinaloa, but yeah. he was with us. And also Diablo Núñez, Claudio Núñez, that he's a legend from Tigres. Yeah. So let's talk about Puebla, because it's a good time to have you on, because they recently fired their coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like it's like the third time, fourth time, eighth, five fourth time, yeah. and he's gonna come back for sure. He's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he has like a long-term relationship, and but I'm kind of sad because of that. Because for this coach, uh, they took some players out, and they expected some results. That well, look at the team. The team is not about to qualify to go to the second round to playoffs. It's a team that is gonna fight to be at mid-table, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And they fire him because, I don't know what expectations they had, but, well, I repeat, look at the team, look at the players, and if you can find three or four nice players, okay, be my guest. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Pat, ask him. Yeah, yeah, I think, well, we all know his relationship with Puebla. He's, he's going to be there forever, <laughs> linked somehow, but... Uh, as of as of you know to follow to continue with the season, who who do you want Puebla to look to look at to coach or or do you prefer them to keep with an intern? You know, uh, they uh, I was reading in the media from Puebla and they were saying that Chepo de la Torre is oh, one of yeah. the names that uh, can be uh, the coach. Also, Robert Antesiboldi that mm. he was champion with Santos Laguna. He worked with Veracruz. I don't know how he ended in Veracruz with, when everybody knew what was going to happen with Veracruz. They were going to second division and pay and, you know, mm -hmm. Mexican football. But they're like the two biggest names. Now, they also were checking about Rafael Puente and Rubén Omar Romano, but people in Puebla are telling me that Chepo de la Torre is like the main objective. But the, the main thing is that... Uh, is an expensive coach. So maybe, maybe Robert Dante Siboldi is going to be the next coach of Puebla. 
That would be nice. I mean, yeah. Siboldi played really well with, with Santos. I yeah, think. man, but look at the team. Even with yeah, Guardiola exactly. and Mourinho, <laughs> would be the same. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, Chelis, I think he did a great job last season, almost in La Liguilla. Uh, I think he definitely exceeded their, your expectations. Yeah, for sure. And now this season, you're, you're just starting. I mean, I think it's too quick, but, you know, that's Liga MX. That's Puebla and El Chelis. And remember that Puebla uh, took a rest at the second, the second leg. So uh, uh, Puebla yeah. only has four, four matches. And yeah, yeah they drew against uh, Chivas. It was a nice match. I actually think that Puebla deserved to win. And you remember the controversial red card to Cavallini, that he scored yeah. a goal and then the bar checked it and then <laughs> showed him a red card. I don't know why. But yeah, against yeah. Pachuca was... A really bad bad game, but I don't know. It's like I don't, I cannot understand the people from Puebla. Chelis is a nice coach, I think. The players like him. And what do you expect? Do you think that Puebla could be champion? Come yeah, on. Yeah. I was gonna ask you, what did you expect coming into this season? Uh, for Puebla. Yeah. So, you know, I would be potting in the center of Monterrey, <laughs> running naked on the streets. Puebla. <laughs> can be like the 10th or the 11th place because I don't, I don't think that Puebla has more to do. It's the beginning of the season, yeah, but just I repeat, I told you like a million times, I think, but look at the team. The team is full of players that some seasons ago they were in the second division or maybe retired. So, yeah, it's not a good, it's not that a good team, but let's see what happens. Let's see what happens with a new coach. But I told you, even with Mourinho, Guardiola, and Klopp working together, it would be the same result. Yeah, was, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what, what, is, what are your opinions on, on Lucas Cavallini? Because I know he was linked to Rayados over the summer. I'm not sure how you know accurate the news was, but I want to get your thoughts just on him because I feel like he's the, I guess, I'm not going to say the, the main player on the squad, but he's definitely a key player for them. Yeah, he's a really nice player. He's really strong. He's, he's really fast also. And he's a good striker. But I think that the best player in Puebla is Brian Angulo. Actually, he was linked to Tigres. With Tigres, because, yeah. yeah. Tigres was looking for a left back. And I think he's one of the best left backs of the league. The problem is that he doesn't have any more players to pass the ball. But Cavallini is a really nice player. He's really strong. But the problem is that he scores like five or six goals every season. He's not like a the striker that is going to score more than 10 goals. So he was linked to Monterrey, but I heard that Monterrey made an offer. It was about five or six million dollars, but Puebla wanted eight million dollars for him. So that's the reason he stayed. He is staying in Puebla. Yeah, I, I remember in the off, during the offseason, I really wanted Colin to come. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was happy that they ended up with Vincent Jansen. But uh, I remember at the time when Cavallini was linked, I was like, hey, you know what, this could do, this could work out really well. But uh, he ended up staying in Puebla. I think he'll leave probably in December. He was about to go to to Europe as well. I think he was waiting for that move and Puebla wanted for him to go to Europe. So, uh, but, you know, uh, maybe he can give Puebla a last good semester and, and, and move on. Uh, you know, with, with Puebla now, without El Chelis, uh, do you, for the rest of the season, do you, how, how do you motivate yourself to be like, ah, yeah, my team, eh, we can make it, or how, 
you know, because okay. we're Rayados <laughs> fans, you know, we're Rayados fans and we, we're super spoiled in, in that sense right now. I know, man, but, you know, I, I live in the city and Rayados fans, I think that they maybe think that Real Madrid plays in this city for <laughs> every year. So they only want to be the champions. And yeah, they have really good investments and really nice players, but calm down a little bit. And, you know, I'm a fan from Puebla, so I expect nothing. <laughs> nothing. You know, now okay. with, the, with the 120 millions that you pay for staying in the first division, <laughs> now it's even boring now because, you know, when you didn't totally go to second division, you celebrated. It was like a trophy for us. Now that yeah. you know that Veracruz is always going to second division and he's always going to pay, now it's kind of boring. It's, you just won't spend the rest of the season. Uh, let's see which player comes in, which player yeah. goes out, and that's it. But to be a Puebla fan, it's kind of hard. I know he's your colleague with Abby and Sports, so I thought you could introduce him. I introduced the show, so but yeah. How, how just go ahead and introduce him because I'm still at a loss for words because he's with us. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Fernando, thank you for coming in with us. Uh, like Eddie said, we, we you know, grew up watching you on TV now, uh, still watching you, which is are awesome. Are you still growing? Are you still growing or you, you stopped growing already? <laughs> so, uh, I still have a little bit to go. A little bit oh, to okay, go. Okay, okay. That's what I know. But uh, and now and now we Eddie and I as you know um, Latinos living in Miami and are doing English content about uh, football teams, soccer teams, Mexican soccer. Uh, we we of course thought of you always as as that type of of personality uh, uh, on TV. You know somebody that was able to hop into an other language in another country, which is awesome. But first of all, fair thank you and. You know, yeah. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's a. It's one of probably one of the most rewarding things when uh, when people you know of, of all ages you know from from twenty something to even forty something and, and they will tell me, oh, you know what? I used to go uh, to my grandma's house and I used to watch uh, you know Lente Loco, <laughs> you know, with you back in the back in the nineties or then. Oh my God! You know, with all my family, I used to watch for the Serie with Sofia Vergara going around the world. So, so it's uh, it's amazing. And then, you know, most recently, the last 20 years, when uh, when we start to do a uh, República Deportiva, and we start obviously also we we start doing the World Cups. Uh, well, all the people you know that follow sports also they you know just uh, going. Oh my God! This is a um, you know this is a different show. Uh, República Deportiva is it's more relaxed. So, uh, we love we love that you bring you know all the players as a guest of the show, and and, uh, and and it's interesting. And you travel all around the world to bring us you know all the all the sports events. Las Vegas with boxing, the whole career of the La Jolla, um, going to Europe to see the very first game of uh, of uh, Cuauhtémoc Blanco with Valladolid, or you know being in a Confederations Cup, World Cups, uh, and everything in between. So, uh, for me, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great compliment every time they tell me that they were watching me from the last 30 years uh, and, uh, and with their families. So, I'm, I'm glad that you are also part of that very select group, which is uh, it's a huge number <laughs> because all the, shows, all the shows were, thank God and thank to the people, very successful. And um, and well, I'm I'm happy to be with you guys here. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Fernando, 
at what point in your career did you decide to go into like English? Because I know last World Cup you did some stuff yeah. for Fox Sports. Right. Was it something you wanted to do? Was it something somebody encouraged you to do? How did how did that happen? Yeah, no, it didn't. Uh, it, it didn't occur to me, and uh, and I didn't pursue it at all. Um, the very famous crossover that it was, you know, very important for so many people, you know, in uh, uh, singers or actors or or TV people. Uh, it was never in. You know, into my, uh, uh, you know, into my desire or or or, or, or thinking about it, uh, I I was very comfortable and and uh, not in the comfort zone. I was very comfortable uh, working with my Latino community. I I love I love the Spanish people uh, from all different countries. Um, I think that they give me so much love from the very first day that I that I started on Telemundo back in 1988 all through my career in, uh, in Univision. So uh, actually, you know, I think that, you know, we have a great relationship with the Spanish community, with, uh, with the Latino community. And, 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 and I was very happy to, you know, to work for them, to be their, to be their voice. Uh, I did TV, I did theater, I did uh, uh, printing, I, I, I wrote a book, I, uh, uh, I did internet commercials with top brands. So I was perfectly fine. Uh, after the World Cup in, uh, in Brazil in 2014, um, well, we have, a, we have a new new directors and new people that they were in charge of Univision Deportes. Uh, we have different ideas of what they want me to do and what I want to keep doing it at Univision. Um, they, they decided to do a, you know, a, a different type of TV and a, and a different type of approach to uh, to the host of the of the of the shows, basically they wanted to be everybody to be in all around involved in all the different shows, and I was very identified with República Deportiva, and my style was completely different for the style of my colleagues. So, uh, in a very amicable way, we decided that you know they they were the bosses and they have an, a, a vision for for Univision and and, and the sports department and. You know, I was already established for 30 years, so 25 at the time, and, and I and I said, you know, I don't think that, you know, that we can uh, that we can do the same thing that you know the, the vision that you have with the vision that I have for my career. So, like I said, it was very nice, and we say, okay, you know, I think it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's good that we that this relationship lasted for 25 years, and um, and I decided that maybe I was gonna do some. Uh, of my own productions, I have my production company, and I, you know, I thought that I was gonna be working on something that I wanted to uh, to call the shots, like they say, because I was working, you know, under a under a big company like Univision for pretty much, you know, my whole career. So and a half of my life, pretty much, it was mm -hmm. 25 years. So I said, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my own productions, but you know, you you think about one thing, and and then God got another plans for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, the following year, the 2015, I was in I was in Chile, uh, doing some of my own stuff, and uh, and I had the privilege and the and, and the you know and the honor to uh, to be approached by the people from Bean Sports that they were doing the Copa America in Chile, and I started to work with them during that event. Mm -hmm. So it was it was again I was working for someone else, and uh, and then when I came back, you know it just happened that. Uh, you know, an, an old boss from uh, from Univision that he was uh, working on Fox. Uh, he called me and he says, you know, listen, Fernando, we want you to be the Latin voice 
at Fox Sports, uh, which we have a very nice uh, staff and, 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 and panelists, but we are missing, you know, some Latin flavor. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I know what you're capable of, so would you like to come and join us? And to tell you the truth, I was excited, but that it, it was not like, oh, my God, my dream come true. Now I'm going to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't. It, you know, I, I said, well, yes, I would love to do it, but, uh, but uh, I wanted to keep my own style and, uh, and, you know, and, and my El Presidente, uh, and I wanted to be Fernando Fiore, you know, even if I'm working in English. And they said, yes, that's what we, exactly what we like. So you don't have to, to be worried about that. We're going to let you be, and, uh, and it's going to be, uh, you know, your own persona. And, um, and it worked out fine. It worked mm -hmm. out fine. I started to work with them in 2016 with the Copa America Centenario, which was a great success. Uh, at the same time, uh, I was doing also that year the Gold Cup. Uh, I think it was the 16, it was the Gold Cup also. Uh, and then the 17, it was the Confederations Cup. And then the 18, it was the World Cup. And, then, <laughs> and we went to Russia. And then 2019, uh, I went back to LA from studio to do the, the Women's World Cup and the Gold Cup and the Copa America, little you know, highlights. So it worked out just fine, and, and I was really pleased, and I thank God every minute uh -huh. because uh, all the general market audience embraced me so much, and, and they said, you know, we love your style, uh, you know, I, I love the, you know, they all told me, we always love the way you, you know, you, you say what you're thinking, and, and you are not part of the establishment, and, 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 if, and, and if you don't like something that Alexi Lala said, you will go and rebate him, which not many people would do it at that time. So it, it was fantastic. It was mm -hmm. really a, a, a different thing. Uh, that saying, uh, I always wanted to also come back and do something for the, the Spanish community. Mm -hmm. and, and last year, again, being sports and myself, we crossed paths again. They, uh, they asked me to do the Recopa Sudamericana in Argentina. It was another big success. Everything went, went fine. And then we worked all last year doing uh, different events. Uh, and now we are very happy working in being sports, doing yeah. both English and Spanish. And, um, and uh, you know, hopefully we will be doing some, uh, some other events with Fox Sports also in English. Yeah. So.